The Race for the Ring, Episode 64, If Licks Could Kill, with Dr. Patrick Wenis, relationship expert and author. You're listening to The Race for the Ring. I am your host, Mindy Barnett. I'm an entrepreneur, motivational author, keynote speaker, television contributor, and a single mom. Since re-entering the dating world after my divorce, I found dating life eye-opening. In the age of Tinder, Bumble, and Hinge, there seems to be more horror stories and humor than happy endings among my friends and social circles. And I want to know why. Each week, we'll chat with a different dating queen or king, socialite or relationship expert, and explore the many facets of dating today, pitfalls to steer clear from, and how to find the finest fish in the sea. Get ready, set, go. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Race for the Ring. We have a very interesting conversation to share with you today. I am going to be speaking with um, Dr. Patrick Wanis, who is um, a very, very celebrated human behavior and relationship expert psychologist. Um, he's been published in, on you know variety of different uh national publications. Um, he's been featured uh, in CNN, on CNN, Fox News, MSN, Cosmopolitan, Rolling Stone, USA Today, and Touch Weekly. The list goes on and on and on. But his main thrust of knowledge is really about dissecting human behavior and human relationships. And he kind of breaks down a little bit into the science behind that why we as a society put so much shock in our aesthetics and how it actually can be debilitating to us if we're putting too much emphasis on the wrong things. So we kind of like went through what a healthy situation might be in say social media versus an unhealthy and also the why certain people present themselves in a way that they really aren't being authentic and how that's really a reflection of the way they view themselves inside. So while this conversation isn't exactly about dating, it definitely pertains to the dating realm because if we're not healthy individuals, we're not going to bring a healthy forefront to any relationship. So at any rate, I, without further ado, I just want to get right to the conversation with Dr. Patrick Wanis. Hello, Dr. Wanis. Thank you so much for joining us for the, on the Race for the Ring. How are you doing today? I'm great. And thanks for asking. You are in Miami. You just showed me some very pretty pictures. I'm quite jealous, to say the least. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your background um, before we get right into the meat of the conversation. You've done quite a bit. Um, you actually came from news, too. So let's talk a little bit about that and how you segued into becoming a relationship expert, why you chose that path, what was you know so intriguing to you about it. All right. So where do I where am I starting? Because there's a lot of there's a lot of points there. Um, <clears throat> I think the the most important thing to say is that I've always been interested in human behaviour. So long before I did any formal studies, long before I even got into um, journalism as a kid, I was reading. I remember reading a book on the psychology of women, or a, a, psych, a book about understanding women, and I thought this is interesting. Why am I reading this? I was 15. I was really trying to understand my mother. Um, <laughs> Or your future wife. <laughs> <laughs> or, just, or just every woman in general. So, yes, true, um, true, true. 
so that was sort of the beginning. And because of the nature of the dynamic within the household, and there was something that my parents saw in me, they would turn to me for advice and counsel hmm. from a very young age. So at, even at 19, my parents were coming to me and asking me for marital advice, which obviously really? doesn't make sense. I know they it's were? hard to believe. I know it's very hard to believe. It doesn't make any sense that any parent would turn around to their teenage child and say, your father and I are arguing, come over. And then I would sit there and I would talk to my mum uh -huh. in one room. Then I would go and talk to my dad in another room. I'd go back to my mum, back to my dad. Then I'd bring them together and I'd give them advice and counsel. That's um, awesome. Well, it's awesome in one way because you think, oh, well, this guy must know something. Or it's, right. quite, un or it's quite unhealthy because you're – Number one, you're turning to a child, to a teenager, to give you advice that really isn't, it doesn't create a healthy dynamic and then it sets, it swaps the roles. So long before that, even at age 10, my mother had said one time, don't cry, you're my tower of strength. And I interpreted that as, oh, I'm supposed to be strong for you. Yeah. So yeah. now, and this is something that I teach in the work that I do with clients about understanding the roles that you took on as a child yeah. And noticing when they were flipped, when the child was playing the role of parent or caretaker instead of mm -hmm. playing the role of child, and there's a huge difference. Um, it wasn't until, you know, yes, you, you mentioned news, and yes, I was a reporter, I was um, a journalist, which also gave me extraordinary insight into people mm -hmm. and into behaviour, particularly because I also covered politics for a while and I saw the lies. Oh boy. Yeah. And all the, yeah. the corruption and the corruption of power. But I also looked at dynamics of power and power struggles and relationships between people and brokering of power. But eventually I didn't set out to say, well, I want to be a relationship expert. In fact, <clears throat> my doctorate is in health psychology, human behavior and hypnosis. So the emphasis is on understanding people and how we behave and why we do the things we do, and how to change the things that we do. How to, mm -hmm. not to change the way we feel, but to change the way that we respond to the way we feel. See, the problem isn't if you're sad or angry. The problem is what you do when you're sad and angry. When you're sad, you might just give up hope, and you might do nothing, and you might wallow in self-pity. When you're angry, you might take that anger out, on the wrong person at the wrong time, or you'll stay in anger, which also manifests into physical illness. All, all of these emotions manifest into physical illness. In fact, I've just created a web page on trauma, and something that's really interesting is the way that childhood trauma even affects skeletal fractures. When a person is depressed, the, um, the bone mineral density drops between 6 and 15%. So all of our emotions affect our body. And that was How another. Is that? Is that because of hormones? It's it's a number of things. Primarily, it's the HPA, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, oh. um, adrenal axis, which is what it means is that you're constantly under toxic stress. Instead of your body being in what we call a parasympathetic nervous state, uh -huh. which is rest and digest, you're in the sympathetic nervous state, which is fight, flight, freeze, fawn. And all of those things are, yes, they're imbalanced. They create an imbalance in your endocrine system, in your hormones. They also create toxic stress because your body is being overworked. Stress is okay. It's when it becomes toxic, when it becomes intolerable. 
And resiliency is an important part of being able to handle stress as well as having social support. So again, we come back to relationships. And on that point, what I learned through years of studying, years of working with clients, isn't just that we're hardwired for connection, but such a, a huge part, portion of the fulfillment in life comes from our connection, comes from our relationships. And for too long, we've had people teaching, oh, you don't need to be in a relationship, just love yourself, just like yourself, and that's all that matters. And that's not true at all. There's not one study that supports that. Every study reveals that our health is connected to our relationships. It's I believe that. Yeah, I definitely believe that. Well, I, I could listen to you talk forever. I'm so interested in psychology and everything you're saying is like, I'm actually going back to school for psychology um, to, to possibly practice later in life myself. It's so interesting to me. I love listening to this. That's great. Go ahead continue. No, I, I just wanted to this. chime in and say that. I, I believe yeah, that. And I think that's great. If it's your passion, then make sure you pursue it because it'll give yeah. you a great sense of feel, fulfillment, meaning, and purpose. So, the point about relationships, understanding how important relationships is, is think back during the pandemic at its height when we were all isolated and how that felt. And there wasn't just a sense of heaviness and grieving from what we lost, such as work or a routine or stability or security. It was also from losing our connections and <laughs> losing our relationships. And that's it's interesting because during the pandemic is a time when you find out who really is my friend? Whom do I really care about? Whom do I miss the most, et cetera? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. The, so the point is that I didn't set out to become a relationship expert. I really focused more on human behavior. And you can't study human behavior unless you study relationships because the work that I do with my clients, I've organically developed a therapy technique called SRTT, Subconscious Rapid Transformation Technique. Now, with this technique, what I'm basically doing is identifying what is it you want that you don't yet have. And you might say, I'm, I want to feel secure because I'm experiencing anxiety or I want an intimate relationship or I want to be vulnerable or I want to be able to trust or I want to let go of anger. And all of those things, which are signs and symptoms, are all the result of something that happened in your childhood. And everything that happened in your childhood was the result of a relationship the relationship you had with your mom the relationship you had with your dad the relationship you had with your brother or sister absolutely mm -hmm. so the way that your parents related to you mm -hmm. will determine the way you're feeling today the way that mm -hmm. you interact with people if you as a child were heard understood and validated you're going to be much more secure than a child that was constantly criticized was ignored mm -hmm condemned, judged, mm -hmm. or the parent just really had no interest in getting to know who is Mindy? Who is Mindy? Like what motivates her? What excites her? No, I know. It's so true. I mean, before we get off, I want to get back onto the, the topic of the show in a minute, but I just want to share that I also keynote and I talk on leadership and a lot of what I say in the talk is related to that. Because obviously, if you have a strong foundation from your childhood, you're automatically coming from a stronger point. But, you know, and then also just how you relate to your coworkers and how you can, you know, the relationships you create with certainly your children and molding them into being like, you know, um, 
human beings that give back one day and things like that. It's such an important role that so many people don't realize they have and possess that power to actually kind of control and, you know, mold someone for, for the future, whether they're going to sink or swim kind of situation. So yes. anyway, it's so interesting. Well, what I yeah. teach is that you either affect people in a positive way or you infect people. And that relates, that's also about yeah. relationships day to day and even in the workplace. So yeah, when I teach eight-hour workshops on leadership, authenticity, vulnerability, trust, care, uh, team cohesiveness, I'm primarily focusing on relationships. Everything that I'm teaching ultimately is about relationships. If you feel safe, if you have security, if you feel secure within you, then you choose to be vulnerable. When you choose to be vulnerable, you're encouraging people to reciprocate and to trust you and to be open with you. Mm -hmm. which is the foundation of every relationship and the foundation of every team. So mm -hmm. when I was teaching Shell and, and Orange Theory Fitness and companies such as that, mm -hmm. the whole focus is what is your relationship with yourself and what is your relationship to the world around you? What do you think and feel and believe about yourself and the world around you? Because everything that you think, feel and believe about yourself will determine the way that you interact with people. How open you are, how trusting you are, how kind you are, how forgiving you are, how compassionate you are, whether you stand up for yourself when you need to, whether you set clear boundaries, whether you allow people to mistreat you, all of that is dependent upon you, how you see yourself, what's the image you have of yourself, how you present yourself. And that's another thing that I teach. I teach that we teach others how to treat us. You teach others how to, I'm just going to step inside because I'm on the behalf no, of yeah. kids in okay. the pool playing. No, um, no problem. No, that's very true. So let's go into a little bit about what the show is about. Um, the title of the show, um, Dr. Juan, is, is If Looks Could Kill, right? So we're focusing a lot on, predominantly on females, but men do this too, where they're presenting themselves in one way publicly, but the reality is internally, they're not necessarily feeling what they're presenting, so to speak. And a lot of what, uh, you know, we're reflecting on is essentially social media and taking lots of selfies and being worried about your aesthetic appearance and all of the pressures that society puts on us, but then some. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that's so um, obviously, you know, obviously poisonous in a sense um, for, for people and that they really should reflect internally and work on how they feel. I mean, I, I'm guilty of taking selfies. I mean, I'm, but I do it more because of the field I'm in. I am an author, I'm in public relations and all of that. So I need to like sort of be active on social media. And I, I, the selfies are more about fashion than me per se. Um, but that said, I, I, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about the topic. Well, taking a selfie isn't a crime. People have been taking pictures of themselves for a long, long time. And even before the, the fad of selfies began, we had the, the rich, elite, wealthy people used to have portraits painted of them. So the concept has been around for a long time. That's not the issue. The issue isn't whether you take selfies or not. It's to the extent, the degree that you take them, and then what you do with them, whether you are using filters yeah. to alter the way that you look, to try to convince other people that you're something that you're not, mm -hmm. and then what, what power you give to that selfie and what you write about it. So, again, taking a selfie isn't a crime. 
The problem is why are you taking the selfie? How often are you taking the selfie? When you're taking this picture of yourself, are you actually interacting with the people around you, with the environment around you? Or are you so obsessed and controlled by this desire to get the approval of others that therefore you ignore everything else around you? So really, like in everything that I teach, it's not just what you do, it's why you're doing it. So we've got to ask the question, what is your motivation? What are you trying to do with this selfie? Are you trying to tell the world that you're something you're not? Oh, look, I'm younger than I really am. I'm more beautiful than I really am. Oh, please validate me. Please give me acceptance and approval. Please tell me that I'm good. Please tell me that I'm likable because actually I don't believe any of those things. That's they're, why I need they're leaning on like the public, quote unquote, to like kind of justify in their mind that they're worthy. Is that what you mean? It's not just the public. It's it's definitely the public, but you might do it to your Facebook friends. Yeah. And maybe you've got a wide, maybe you've got a thousand friends and you only know about five of them. But right. yes, you're you're actually what I teach is you are giving away your power because what you're saying is the way that I feel today will be determined by what other people say about me. Mm-hmm. And if people say that they like my selfie, then I'll feel good about myself. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. you're doing is you're giving away control and you're ultimately already rejecting yourself. If you're saying, I don't like who I am, I don't like the wrinkles, I don't like this, I don't like that, you're rejecting yourself. You're saying, see, I'm not good enough. Right. So therefore, I'm going to tell everyone that I'm something else because I really don't like myself. I'm rejecting myself. So I'm hoping that everyone else will accept me. But what are they accepting? What are they validating? They're not validating. A fake person, basically. That's not your authentic. I mean, if you, I guess there's a fine, not a fine line, but if you, if you don't like your wrinkles and you go to a plastic surgeon and you get Botox in reality, you don't look like you did once day with the wrinkles, right? As opposed to someone who, or correct me if I'm wrong, as opposed to someone who's just using a filter and relying on the filter to kind of like create this like facade of what they want to appear um, as. But in, in reality is you take off the filter and they're not, that's not really what they look like in, in like the flesh, so to speak. Is that right? So, yes. So we have two layers. We have the external before the internal. And what I mean by that is it's one thing if you're already having Botox and you say, see, there are no wrinkles on my forehead. Okay, fantastic. And then if I come to meet you, there's no wrinkles on your forehead. But right. <laughs> if you go on the selfie and you put this wonderful airbrush filter and you're actually 38 years of age, but suddenly you look like you're 18 because you've smoothed out your skin and it's so shiny and healthy. And then I meet you and I say, you don't look like you're 18. You look like you're 38. <laughs> so that's the yeah. difference, right? Yeah. But yeah. The, the, again, we come back to well, why are you doing it? Right. Because you don't like who you are. Because you don't like the way you look. It's not the same as I'm going out on a date. I want to impress the guy. I'm going to put on some makeup and make myself a little prettier and put on some red lipstick so I look a little more erotic or seductive. That's not the same as actually trying to make yourself 10 years, 20 years younger or trying to pretend that you're this super constantly happy person. Yeah, yeah. You're happy 24 hours a day. Now, this is part of the Western culture and specifically part of the American culture, that we have to be happy 24 hours a day. And, oh, my God, he's sad. He's unhappy. Oh, that's terrible. 
Well, guess what? The truth That's is yeah. that is life. Yeah. And life, life is a broad spectrum. There is, there's a very wide spectrum of emotions all the way from intense pain to intense joy and then there's everything in between. We don't – I just said this with a client, working with a client last week, um, when her parents would say to her as a child, you're too sensitive, you're too sensitive, you're overly sensitive. Mm-hmm. And there's two points here. One is when the parents, parents or anyone else is saying that, what they're really saying to you is, I don't know how to handle your emotions, so I'm just going to label them as you're overly sensitive, you're overreacting. Or they don't than, want to, right? They don't want to be bothered. Maybe. Well, that's yeah. true too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rather than trying to understand, well, wait a minute, okay, I can see you're really angry. What's happening here that you're so angry? That's number one. The second thing is her parents, other than anger, didn't show any emotions. That's the only emotion they showed. Hmm. So what that says as well when we are criticizing people and saying they're overly sensitive is we're trying to shut people down. We're trying to shut down emotion. If you remove this broad spectrum of emotion, what are you? Just you're a shell. Just, you're a shell. You're a machine. You're a robot. You have nothing to you. Now I ask you, what creates the richness of life? Emotions. Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. took away emotions, you wouldn't enjoy eating food. You wouldn't enjoy the sunrise. You wouldn't enjoy the sunset. There'd be nothing. You'd just be sunrise, sunset, eat food, sit down, read book, get nothing. Right, so, right. And, and I'm going off at a tangent. I'd like to come back because I – get carried well, away. I mean, well, no, it's okay. It's interesting. I have a follow-up question though to, I didn't want to interrupt you to what you were saying about like the Botox versus the, you know, the, 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 filters. the filters. So are you, I mean, as, do you think like women who go to say a plastic surgeon for, for things um, are unhappy with themselves? Because I, I feel like I could take just to play devil's advocate, if you'll let me, I know like certain women want to feel the way they, they look inside. I'm not speaking for myself. I actually do PR for a couple of doctors. And this is sort of what I've learned along the way of representing them as long as I have, that they want to feel good. They want to look in the mirror and feel the, the same youth that they feel internally. So they get it done, but they, they get it done in such a way that they're not changing their face. They're not changing themselves. They're just like smoothing some wrinkles out or doing a few little tweaks and things like that so that they have the confidence that they want to go back out on the dating scene or, you know, whatever it is that they're looking to do in their life. Do you think that that is, is not healthy or do you think that that's okay versus someone who really is trying to pull the wool over everyone's eyes and appear to be happy when they're not and put a filter on their all of their social media and present to be someone that the, they're really not? I know people like that too. I was just curious what, what you thought in, ter- in regards to both of those scenarios. It took me a long time to learn that there are no absolutes. So mm-hmm. the application of that statement is if you're going to go to a plastic surgeon to have some work done, the question is to what degree are you getting that work done? Mm -hmm. Are you actually Mm -hmm. going to change your face? Are you going there not liking yourself versus I just like to look a little younger. I think I could get my skin tightened a little bit. I could potentially Mm -hmm. get rid of this wrinkle. Okay, that's fine. There Mm -hmm. is a book, goes back to I think late 50s, that is really the the very foundation of all of this self-help movement And it was a book by Dr. Maxwell Maltz, who was a plastic surgeon. And it was called Psycho-Cybernetics. 
he would do exactly what you're talking about. People would come in and they'd have all this surgery and they'd have all this done and they still didn't like themselves. Mm -hmm. So then he wanted to dig deeper and say, what's really happening here? Mm -hmm. And what he uncovered was it's all about the self-image. It's about the way you see yourself more than the way the world sees you. So, Mm -hmm. again, if you're going to go to a plastic surgeon, what are you expecting from it? What part of you is it that you don't like? No mm-hmm. one want, No one says, wakes up and goes, wow, i got more wrinkles. This is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that's But true. that's not the same as saying, wow, I'm changing, I'm evolving. And again, let's, let's compare the Western culture with, say, the Eastern culture. In the West, when someone starts to get old, whatever old means, whether that starts at age 50, 55, 65, 70, we start to think, well, those people are useless. They have nothing to contribute because America, and I wrote, wrote this, I remember giving interviews years ago to various media outlets that America is obsessed with youth. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, it's, it's, and this is another reason why I think we have this, this, these extreme obsession with young girls because the media sells it and it sells products. Why is a 12-year-old girl, we could talk about this for four hours, why is a 12-year-old girl modeling clothes for an adult? And, and I know it's not just in America. It starts with all the unbelievably, um, yeah. I'm not, not going to finish the word. Yeah, they're, they're the Italian designer. Yeah. yeah. And- it's true for men too. I mean, just to go back to like what you're the notion of like youth, even in tech, like I know I've read a lot of articles in some business outlets and a lot of the tech guys who, um, you know, work in tech, they, they fear that they're going to be kind of extinct, so to speak, because the thought is the younger ones are more knowledgeable about the latest cutting edge technology and they have more energy and they can work all those crazy, like, hours and stuff and they're just more advanced in that space as opposed to a middle-aged person who does is sort of like has been a little bit I don't know I don't believe that I just know that that was something that I I think I read it in the Wall Street Journal but I've read it other places too all right go ahead what do you well, think again, it's, it's our obsession with youth where we yeah. think youth are superior to everyone else rather than saying well what is the real criteria value here is the criteria value just energy levels? Is the criteria value simply the aesthetics? Or is the criteria value wisdom, knowledge, insight, um, inspiration, guidance, etc.? We've just become a completely obsessed with the idea that because someone is younger, they are therefore superior. No, they're not. Right. And fortunately, right. in my work, at least people recognize, oh, this guy is older. I hope he's had some life experience yeah. to give me insights that a 20-year-old couldn't give me when I come up and I say I have panic attacks and anxiety disorders. Who's going to be able to do that? Who's going to be able to give you that wisdom and insight? Now, so coming back to the point, it's, it's an individual choice to say mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what value do you see in yourself? How do you want to be judged? So when we talk about dying for approval through social media and wanting to present your best looks, are you saying to me that you want to be valued and judged purely on the way you look? Because guess what's going to happen? 
We're going to get into a relationship because, like, oh, she's so hot. She's so beautiful. She's so sexy. And that's all they care about. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then what happens? The guy looks at the girl walking past and then looks at the other girl and the other girl. Then he eventually leaves you because he wants to be with a younger woman because you told him that's what you value as well. It's true. Because you chose someone that values that as well. You determine the kind of people are going to come into your life. And if you say, I want to make sure that someone notices me because I'm young and beautiful and sexy, then that's what they're going to notice you. Mm -hmm. And if you're Mm -hmm. spending all of your energy working on that instead of what am I going to, who am I inside, what else do I have to offer, Mm -hmm. you're going to be very empty. There was an interesting video by, um, it's a piece of stand-up by a guy called Patrice, I think it was Patrice O'Neill or Patrice Neal from many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. And it was a bit of a setup because he's, he's talking about relationships and dating and sex. And he says, okay, ladies, this is an audience of men and women. What would, ha- what would, ha- what would you, how would you please your man if you couldn't have sex? And suddenly all these women are throwing out things in the audience from the audience saying thing, talking about, you know, pleasing the man uh, orally. And I'd and be like, they, I bake them cookies. <laughs> yeah, well, at least you had something a little more meaningful because. That was what I thought when you said that, but go ahead. <laughs> now, he did set it up because he'd already been talking about sex. So it was assumed that the question. Oh, was, I figured you were, but you said without. Oh, okay. But it's yeah, but, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying that he set it up so uh-huh. that it was obvious what answer he was going to get. If he yeah. said, how would, you, how would you just please your man if there were no sex? That would be very different. Nonetheless, the point is look at what you believe you have to offer. Are you just offering your your looks? Are you just offering your sexual prowess, your sexual capabilities? What else can you offer someone, whether you're a male or a female? If you're a man, the, it, you know, for, for men it's also changed because once upon a time men were purely judged not so much on looks but can he protect and can he provide? Yeah. Now, there's still an expectation of that in certain cultures. If you talk about some of the big cities like Miami and LA, there's still those women that are looking for the man who's going to provide luxuriously regardless of his age. So you'll see a 20-year-old Colombian girl with a 60-year-old yeah. man in yeah. Miami because he's yeah. got a big boat and he's got an oceanfront apartment and the girl, that's all she wants. Mm-hmm. So look at what what do you have to offer? Because we keep coming back to this theme of dying for approval. Stop seeking external validation, approval, and acceptance. You've, you've got to get your own value from within you. Yes, we do need people around us. We do need people to reinforce our value. We do need people to reflect to us our mm-hmm. value. But mm-hmm. if we become completely dependent upon that, then we are helpless and weak. And I think that's the most important point. So we're almost out of time. So can you give us some actionable tips, like the people listening um, that may not feel so great about themselves and perhaps they put a lot of stock in their looks because of that? I have to say for myself, um, I think it's obviously you have to be attracted if you're looking for a suitor, right? You have to be attracted and to cool. them um, aesthetically as well as intellectually. But I've always sort of, well, at least in my adult life, I've always like leaned more on the intellectual side as opposed to, because I think that makes the person handsome or beautiful and or whatever it may be, like, you know, the, who they are inside of them, let alone 
like obviously aesthetically. So um, that said, what can what can uh, you offer? What can you say in a very short time? I know like probably years and years of therapy, but if someone isn't feeling great, like what are some of the initial steps that they can take on a road to maybe greatness, if you will? First step is become aware of self-esteem. Self-esteem is dangerous. Let me explain that briefly. Self-esteem is purely determined on comparison. If I compare myself to the person next to me and I'm younger and I'm taller and I'm richer and I've got more influence, oh, I feel good about myself. But then I go and compare myself to someone else and that person's got more of what I judge myself with. So now my self-esteem has dropped. Self-esteem is always measured by comparison and the target is constantly moving. So be aware of that. So what is better than self-esteem? Self-compassion. Self-compassion means can you accept who you are, the way you are? Can you notice at times when you make mistakes, when you fail? Can you notice at times when you're not perfect, which is every one of us? And can you accept that? Can you be encouraging and supporting towards yourself the way you would with a friend? Can you be loving and forgiving and patient with yourself? And then surround yourself with people who will mirror what you already value in yourself and what you believe in yourself. Now, if you say, well, Patrick, I don't value myself very much. I don't believe in myself very much. Surround yourself with people that do and then go get the help because when you were born, you were not just a clean slate. You did feel good about yourself. It changed progressively as parents, caretakers reprogrammed you by judging you, criticizing you, condemning you, ignoring you, perhaps being abusive or perhaps parents split, et cetera, et cetera. You've got to heal that because that affects the way that you look at the world. So again, focus, rather than comparing yourself to other people, focus on being compassionate to yourself. That's great advice. Forgiving, loving, and accepting. Number two, surround yourself with people who build you up and who want the best for you, people who you can say, they want me to be the best version of myself. Mm-hmm. That's number two. And then number three, look at your deeper issues. What things happen to you that make you think now, I'm not worthy, I'm not special, I'm not good enough, I'm not lovable, I don't belong, etc. And go and get the professional help because you can change all of those traumatic experiences you had in childhood because that's become one of my specialties. And I have therapists who refer clients to me to help them to heal and resolve childhood traumas. That's great. That's fantastic. Um, so in a, in a, a short version, just the, the first thing people can do is control their environment, like you're saying, in terms of making yeah. sure you're with like uplifting people. That's such great advice. I think I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and kind of shed a little bit of light on this looks could kill because they certainly can, at least internally, if you put too much stock in them, right? Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. You're lucky you have a pretty uh, view. That, that's not going to kill anytime soon. Um, enjoy Florida. You're so lucky. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, let me say this if people are listening. Yeah. I, I believe that luck is the opportunity and the rest is what you do with it. That's very true. Very true. So, Real quick. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Finish. I want, I want you to share where we can find you too. I forgot to ask you that. Oh, patrickwanis.com. P-A-T-R-I-C-K-W-A-N-I-S.com. Okay, great. All right. Thank you, doctor. Have a good Thank day. You. All right. Okay.
Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Race for the Ring. If you liked today's episode, please write us a review. They can make or break a good podcast, just like a dull dude can be the kiss of death to a date. I'll catch you next week. And in the meantime, be sure to say hi and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. My handles and contacts are in the show notes. It's been my pleasure to have you along for today's dating debate. Bye-bye. Today's episode was brought to you by Furco's Fine Jewelry. The family-owned business is best known for their handcrafted statement pieces, engagement rings, and fashion finds. Visit them on Instagram at Furco's Fine Jewelry and make them your go-to when shopping for a special gift for a loved one, friend, or for yourself. Race for your ring and use special code MINDY15 at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. Happy shopping!